Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? What is good? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. We are here talking about sports cards, baby. That's what we do. And what we like to do is collect them. I have my guy, Curtis, the collector. You know him, at 90s Kid Card Collector, on the program today. Talk about buying what you love and not worrying about all the riffraff, mitigating some risk along the way, and just enjoying the damn hobby as the escape that it is. Really enjoyed this conversation. He's someone I've been interacting with on Instagram for some time now and pumped to have him on the show. If you like what I'm doing over here, subscribe, follow, do all the things that we do when we like content. But most importantly, tell a damn friend about Stacking Slabs. Also, write a review. Throw a review out there. I don't tell people to do this, but would love it. Appreciate it. Peace out. Take care. Here's the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Excited about this topic. We're going to be talking about ways to mitigate risk and collect what you love. Maybe not the most flashiest topic, but I think an important one, especially since we're all scrolling on our Instagram feeds and we're seeing a bunch of cards, we're seeing a lot of hype, we're seeing a lot of prices go up. And I think it's good to just have a conversation with the collector about things he does to mitigate risk. I am joined by... 90s kid card collector Curtis. There's a lot of alliteration in there. Uh, we're going to be talking about it. Curtis, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Uh, appreciate you having me on, man. Look forward to this topic. Yeah. So we got, I, I'll give you some uh, time to just enjoy the week one uh, excitement. Your team, he's a Bucks fan. He's wearing his Mike Evans jersey. Obviously, got the dub on uh, Sunday night football. What is your early forecast? Are you excited? Obviously, you won, so you got to be excited. How are you feeling right now? Oh, I'm feeling good. Um, I'm, I, am, I am an actual true Bucks fan, so I don't really have any huge expectations. Any season that's like 500 is amazing. So the last couple of years have been a fantasy since like the last 20 years ago when we won the championship. So I'm just always happy and grateful. A win's a win. Um, but I think that I think I think this is going to be it for Brady. I think he's going to give it everything he has. I think we've got good weapons still. Of course, Mike Evans, my guy, and, and Julio Jones. And the defense looked really solid last night. So I was happy about that. But um, I'm, I don't have crazy expectations. I'm just going to watch each game and be very grateful that we still have Tom Brady while it lasts. It's a, it's a good mindset to have. You mentioned, uh, so I would imagine, and this happens a lot in sports, when superstars go to a new city, that attracts, you know, a whole new fan base coming in. So you've, you, you know, you're from the area, you've been a Bucks fan probably your whole life. What has it been like to, to go from a team, you know, that didn't, you know, post your last Super Bowl win, not a ton of successful wins, uh, not a ton of attention to all of a sudden you, you know, Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl in his first year and, and there's all this attention uh, on the Bucks. What's that been like as a fan? Uh, exciting, fun, and expensive. 
because <laughs> before Brady came, tickets were dirt cheap. I mean, you could go outside of the stadium and people would just have tons of tickets, real ones. You didn't even have to worry about like getting, you know, taken advantage of. Like you literally go out there and get deals on great seats, just bring some cash. And of course, ever since uh, Brady came, that has not been the case. Tickets are very expensive. Um, I was fortunate to go to a few games last year, hoping to go to a couple more this year. I got uh, tickets to the Chiefs game already, so I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to that. But, dude, I'm just the kind of guy – I'm not going to go if I can't get a good seat. I'd rather mm. – it's it's too hot in Florida. It's too much of a hassle. I love the experience of being there, but I'm not going to pay 500 bucks to sit in the nosebleeds when I got a freaking really nice TV at home and friends and family I can watch with at home. So. Uh, getting these tickets, man, at a at a reasonable price for a good seat is the challenge. But it's awesome having Brady. It's awesome having the excitement in Tampa. And um, yeah, I, I mean, it's been great. I can't complain about that. I, I would love to know. And uh, he's he's Curtis is rocking his Mike Evans jersey. And we've been interacting on Instagram for a, a long time. And I've always known you as a a big Mike Evans guy and Mike Evans collector. I think when you look at the wide, when people talk about best wide receivers and talk about, you know, great wide receivers, Mike Evans doesn't necessarily get mentioned a lot. However, if you look what he's doing from his career perspective, you know, thousand yards every year is something that, you know, hasn't really ever been done. So I think he kind of flies under the radar a little bit. And I know he's someone that you collect and you go deep in collecting him. So maybe talk a little bit about like, what's your connection with Mike Evans and um, why is it fun to kind of collect his cards? I fell in love with Mike Evans at a football game, literally, you know, at a Bucks game. Um, this was early in his career. This, these were the Winston years. And of course, you know, Winston, he was a wild card, man. He was such a good quarterback in so many ways, but also the king of interceptions. And just like one thing that I noticed is that Evans was just always on. He was always, you know, making the catch. And I just felt like he was the glue of the team. I felt like he, he had a lot of passion and the talent was there. The passion was there. And I just felt like, okay, Winston is like unstable. Mike Evans is super solid, super consistent. And just that's what made me fall in love with him. Just kind of feeling like he was the glue of the team. You know, I've watched people come and go, and um, I don't even collect guys that come and go. I'm really weird like that. Like, I, I will collect guys after they've been on the team for a certain amount of time. Um, for example, I mean, of course, Brady is an exception because it's Brady. But um, Mike Allstott, I collect him because he was a lifelong Buccaneer. Uh, I collect Rondé Barber, lifelong Buccaneer. And so I just – I like those guys that have the longevity with the team. And to me, Mike Evans has shown that he's sticking around. I hope he finishes his career, but he's an incredible player. And I just, I don't know, man, I love the guy and he's affordable. So we're going to talk about affordability. We're going to talk about kind of your process and mitigating risk and what you're looking for. Before we do that, I'd be remiss not feel like just want to paint a little picture about who you are as Curtis, the collector. I'd be remiss not to mention we talked about the Bucks, but I feel like primarily you're a Kobe guy. I know he he is he is he is your guy. Um, 
Oh, yeah. Just in following you, you collect all things Kobe all the time. Yeah. So maybe share some uh, perspective on just what Kobe, you know, means to you as an athlete and, and why you collect him. Oh, man. Kobe is by far my, there, nobody even comes close. I love Mike Evans. I love the Buccaneers, lifelong Buccaneers fan. Kobe did something to me. It was 2013. I honestly became a, a Kobe fan late in life. I've been a basketball fan my, since I was like 10. Shaq is the one that got me into basketball in 1992 when I was 10 years old. Shaq got me into basketball. I started collecting Shaq. And then I got into Charles Barkley as a teenager. Something happened where I, I just fell in love with Barkley. And Barkley took over my collection in my entire room. As a teenager, to be honest with you, my entire room was Barkley, and I had all the best Barkley cards. I had all the refractors, finest golds, rubies, all crazy Barkley collection. Um, did not collect Kobe at all when I was a kid or a teenager. I kept my collection, and um, my son found it later in life. My son found my collection, and he just thought it was the coolest thing because I had the Barkley the dolls, whatever those things were called, the starting lineups and like mm. Barkley, all Barkley stuff, not just cards. So he found like action figures and crap along with cards and he would pull it out from time to time. Dad's with, you know, what's this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, as he got older, he just, uh, he kept wanting to know more about it. And I was not collecting during those years. And uh, so one day it just hit me like, I think this, Kid wants to collect. And um, he liked Kobe. And I didn't really, I didn't not like Kobe. I was never a Kobe hater, but just Kobe wasn't my guy. So we started watching games together and I fell in love with him. I fell in love with Kobe watching him in his latter years. Uh, it's funny because like you tune into ESPN and everybody says he's running out of gas. And then I'd watch him play and he freaking rocked, you know? <laughs> And I'd be like, yo, he's not running out of gas. Like this guy, you know, I don't know. I just, I fell in love with his passion. Um, and then my son uh, wanted to start collecting cards. Uh, and this was back in 2013. And so I figured, you know, I'd go just sell my Barkley collection because I didn't really give a crap about it anymore and take that and uh, invest that into some Kobe cards for him. That's how it all started. I went to a baseball card clubhouse in Tampa. I was totally out of the game, totally out of how everything worked. Um, I went there, took all my cards. They bought all my Barclays. Um, and I took that money and started his Kobe collection. And that was in 2013. That's how, that's how it happened. But I just fell in love with his passion and his talent. And uh, that, yeah, the rest was history. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's incredible. I love the connection with your son and starting the Kobe PC, uh, with him. Um, so maybe let's, I feel like Kobe would be a, a good one to launch off with just be based on his cards and his market and just the fluctuation over the past, like several years. And so I think one thing that caught my attention is just one of the headlines in your, um, Instagram profile, you say like, you know, it doesn't matter between $5 to $5,000. Um, you're, you're always trying to like, you know, make sure you're buying at the right time and, you know, collecting, you know, it doesn't matter to you, you know, cards to a card. And I feel like I've seen this too. You, you're, you, you crack cards out of the slabs. You don't care. You just like kind of want the cards 
um, as is in. So I think that's 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 admirable. And you're a true collector. So maybe like talk a little bit about like when you think about your collection, like what you're trying to build and like how do you evaluate kind of the price point to make sure that when you buy a card, you're not over your skis on it. I'm terrible at that. I suck at it because I'm a collector to a fault, right? Like I'm not one of these guys like collector versus investor. I wish I had a little more investor in me uh, when it comes to sports cards. Now I do invest in real life and other ways. I don't invest when it comes to sports cards because this is my escape, right? You say all the time and I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about where I got to get in on this card, how much it's going to be worth. I do a little bit because you kind of have to at this point, and I want to be financially responsible, but I'm a collector to a fault in that I'm notoriously, I'm notorious for overpaying for things, okay? I crack slabs and devalue the card all the time because my OCD is my master when it comes to collecting, and it has to, all the cards have to look the same in the one touch. So I try to buy raw, right? But if I can't find that card in a raw, I'll look for a lower grade, you know, an eight or if I have to get a nine, I will. I don't buy any gems because I lose enough money cracking nines. I don't want to crack tens or 9.5s. But the thing is, the whole $5 to $5,000 thing is, uh, here's the concept behind that, is that I don't care if it's a $5 card or a $5,000 card. Um, I care about what does that card mean to me? Uh, what is it? How does it make me feel? Right? So like $5 cards. I collect Jordan, but I only collect Jordan commons for a couple of reasons. Those commons have so much nostalgia. To me, it's just as exciting as some $5,000 cards out there because of the the trigger of my nostalgia. And it's just a $5 card. Uh, Another reason I only collect Jordan commons is because I collect Kobe Bryant and I can't afford to collect Jordan and Kobe. It's, uh, you know, if I spend big money on a card, it's going to go to Kobe. Um, but same thing with Shaq. I have so many Shaq commons, $5 cards. They just do it for the nostalgia. I do have some better Shaq cards, some mid-range stuff. I, I, I only collect Orlando Shaq right now. Once I'm done getting my Orlando Shaq cards, I'll go into Los Angeles. But I don't have any Kobe commons. I don't collect Kobe commons. I only collect mid to higher end Kobe's. But point being, whether it's a $5 card or a $5,000 card, to me, it's like, what does this card do for me? And I just kind of categorize things. I prioritize Kobe, then Mike Evans, Brady, Shaq, Jordan are kind of under that. I dabble in a little bit of Luca too, um, and some LeBron. I got a little bit of those guys, but I don't know if I said too much in trying to explain that, but that's kind of the concept behind it. Yeah, no. And so one thing I, 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 I hear from you is that you're collecting um, for yourself and you're not necessarily collecting for anyone else. And you mentioned things like nostalgia um, and those are triggers for you to buy. And ultimately, you're trying to curate a collection that makes you happy because at the end of the day, this is your escape. Now, you mentioned Kobe, right? You're, you're typically collecting maybe, you know, mid to higher end stuff, less not necessarily the common stuff. What, how are you? Um, and you said you sucked at it a little to kind of open, but like when you're like, say you're at a show 
or you're on scrolling on eBay and there's a Kobe card that pops up, how are you assessing the need on your end? How do you know one, how do you assess the need? And then two, um, how are you making sure that you're not like, oh, I mean, we all overspend at some level, but not overspending at a level that you don't have to if you were, were just to wait, you know, you know, a few months down the road and that card might fluctuate. Like, how are you talk a little bit about your buying process? Yeah. So I, as far as not trying not to buy at the wrong time in, in like timing the market, I don't do that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, what I do is I manage my risk, not so much in trying to time the market. I manage my risk more by making sure that I don't spend more than I can afford to lose in the first place. So I have some boundaries in place. Um, yes, I'm going to look at the card and try to evaluate it, you know, uh, based on, you know, comps, card ladder, what's available, all those things, right? So I kind of use those as gauges, but I don't try to time the market. Um, I am very specific about what I buy. I pretty much have a list. And if it's not on that list, I've learned to stay away from it. There's a boundary right there because I can buy every freaking thing. There, like, I, there's so many things I could buy that I will just keep spending money. And that's money I could be spending on the real big card that's on my list. So um, some things that I do to kind of mitigate my risk, put boundaries around, if you will, is that I remind myself, uh, number one, of my responsibilities, man. I have responsibilities as a father, uh, as a husband. You know, I've got two kids, um, both of them in high school. Both of them, you know, are expensive and going to be more expensive over the next few years as they drive in, you know, college or whatever. So one of my biggest things is, number one, make sure that all my bases are covered, right? So bills are paid. I've got a few months of emergency funds saved. I have I'm, my uh, 401k is invested in for the month. My kids savings that I have aside invested in for the month. If all my bases are covered and I have cash left over, then that is what I spend from. And I, that's rule number one. So that keeps me grounded and keeps my bills paid and staying out of trouble financially. So I think that's really important. The other thing is I don't finance any cards. I try to stay away from consumer debt altogether, but I, don't, I will not finance a card. That's me personally. I know some people do, and I'm not knocking anybody who does. And I've seen some people do it strategically, and you know, uh, to, that's fine. But for me personally, I'm not putting a card on a credit card. If I don't have the cash liquid that I can afford to lose, then I don't spend it on the card. If I have to save up or whatever it takes, uh, that's just a boundary of mine that keeps me safe financially. And to the point where I don't try to time the market, but if this thing that I just bought goes to zero, I'm fine, you know, not happy, but I'm fine, you know. Maybe a more responsible take than what we're used to hearing or seeing uh, kind of in the mainstream or on Instagram. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, you know, everyone's got their own situation. Everyone's got different financial situations where they're spending money, how they spend their money. But I think a lot of people that listen to this show, like, you know, our professionals, they have kids and cards are 
an escape. And so whatever's kind of left over people like myself and you dump into cards because it makes us happy. I guess like, because that's going on and that's kind of how you're operating. How do you not let kind of the things you see on a regular basis, scrolling through Instagram or just kind of in the hobby mainstream, take you off that track? Because it seems like so much of it is about the highest price and people flashing cash and flashing their cards. Like how, how do you absorb staying in your lane while the other stuff is going on? Um, I listened to this amazing podcast called stacking slabs. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. I've learned so much from this guy named Brett and it's just really helped me learn to stay. <laughs> now, that's definitely true. Um, you've helped me a lot, man. I really appreciate you. Um, I learned a lot from mistakes, man. I, so here's the thing, just rewinding a little bit on my collecting journey. When I, my son and I started that Kobe collection in 2013, that only lasted a couple of years and, um, I sold it off uh, around 2015, but I wish I hadn't, but I did. And, uh, then I got back in, in 2019, um, before the big boom, right before, you know, Kobe passing and all that. Thankfully, so I bought a lot of Kobe cards, dirt cheap at, at, at the right time. However, where I'm going with this is in 2020, I was not immune to the hype, to overpaying. Just I got so caught up. Um, I started trying to invest in Luca. Now I bought so much Luca at the peak; it was ridiculous. I didn't buy just as an investment. I bought him because I needed somebody from the new school to follow and, and enjoy mm. and could watch their games and their active playing. I mean, I do that with LeBron. I love LeBron, but his stuff is, is, is kind of like Jordan. Too expensive for me to collect Kobe and LeBron. So I was really buying a lot of Luca stuff and I got my freaking head taken off. I mean, crushed. Um, and I wasn't even trying to flip it. I was just buying the Luca stuff, thinking, you know, I don't know, just buying that stuff, buying a lot of boxes, crazy money on boxes, trying to chase a freaking Zion silver. Okay, confession time, man. I, would, I did all that stuff. I ripped a ton of boxes, wasted a ton of money on that stuff. And I just found myself with a bunch of cards that I, I didn't love. I liked, but didn't love and blew through crazy cash, man. And I felt the pain of it. Right. So when I lose money on a Kobe card, right. I'm, I'm not happy about it. I'm not stupid. I'm a collector to a fault, but I'm not stupid. I don't like how some of my Kobe cards are worth half what I paid for them, you know, a year ago or whatever. I'm much more like the ones that I bought in 2019 that are worth some of them literally 10, 20, 30 X what I paid for them. But I made so many mistakes with all that other stuff that I started consolidating, curating, got a lot of tips from you and just saying, nope, I don't love this. If it goes to zero, I don't want to have it. And so I moved a lot of stuff around. I sold a lot of stuff to make my next Kobe purchases. I got rid of a lot of stuff that were just sitting in boxes. But I, so all that to say, I went through all that. Uh, I learned from mistakes. I learned from wasting a lot of time and money and um, just listening to wiser people who were more experienced. 
So that's kind of was my process and all that. You touched on something and I don't want to glaze over it because I think it's an important point, but you, you mentioned something earlier in that about you buy cards and you know, you, you have, we have no control over whether they go up or down. We have experience on the types of cards we like, and maybe just certain attributes that maybe help us protect the cards going from, you know, you know, one price all the way down to close to zero. Uh, but it, it happens. But I think something you said that I think it's important and would love for you to maybe touch on it more is the fact that if we buy, if we're buying cards that we want to collect for ourselves, the price of the card, like, yeah, it might go down, but we don't necessarily lose a ton of sleep over it because we own the asset. We own something that we actually love and that we are connected to. And instead of something that we're buying that we don't necessarily have a connection to, but we're buying it just as a vehicle for, for more cash. So maybe like talk about that mentality because there's a lot of people who bought cards that they love that have gone down in price. And I think for me, I don't lose sleep over that because I have the cards at the end of the day of a player that I'm connected to. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I said it before and I'll say it again. I'm, I'm a collector to a fault. I realize that there's wisdom financially in trying to make good choices. And there's wisdom in, you know, maybe even trying to time the market a little bit. You know, I know some guys are good at looking at these gauges, like things like card ladder and stuff and looking at data and history and saying, well, here's, you know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but here's what looks like it's likely or trending toward. And I appreciate all that. I really do. It's just that I don't have time for that. Um, I do try to use my gut and my gauge a little more, but I just think that if I try to make a, a wise decision, I may or may not be right. I could be wrong. It could go way down from where it's at still, hopefully up. But, you know, if I have a card that I love and I don't plan on selling anyways, yes, I care about the value. I'm not dumb. But I don't care because I'm not selling. I'm not, it's not for sale right now. This stuff behind me right now, it's not for sale. So if it's worth double what I paid for it, great. I'm still not selling. Let me give you a perfect example, man. I literally had a Kobe card, have a Kobe card that at one point I was a hundred X in. A hundred. All right. I bought it for five dollars and it was worth five hundred dollars. Wasn't selling it because I didn't want to get rid of it. Now. Another example, I had a Kobe card that to me was a grail. And that's another conversation. The whole grail thing, I think, is a little personal. Um, just like everybody has different budgets, I think there's different levels of grails. But here's the thing. Grail card, I stumbled upon it at a freaking card show. Blown away. Got the card and loved it. And then I, as I uh, examined the card, I realized that I had a gym on my the problem was that this card in a gym was only going to be a pop three if it popped a PSA 10. Okay. I'm going somewhere with this. I made my one and only submission to PSA with that card. It gymmed and it was, there was about a $10,000 profit in it. Okay. <laughs> Not 500 bucks. You know, it's one thing to go from five to 500. And yes, that's hundred X, but it's 500 bucks. I had about $10,000 profit in this card, man. I sold it. It hurt because it was a rare card that you might not get again. It's Kobe Centurion's Refractor, 1998, 
finest Centurions refractor, number to 75, PSA 10 was a pop three, and it hurt to sell it, but I could not yeah. hold on to a $10,000 profit. So I'm still looking for this card, man, uh, in a raw in or a PSA 8 or something like that. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I, I, I had to sell that card. Um, but other than that card, I love the cards I have, and they're not for sale, and I'm not selling, even if there's some profit there. And if there's no profit and it goes down, not selling, not selling anyways. So it doesn't matter. Did I mention that I'm not selling? Uh, I love that story. I love the, uh, the one and only submission. You, you knew it. You saw it. One and only sometimes submission. you just, you got you to take the profit sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I, I can relate with so much of what you said. Like talk, like, talk about card ladder, for instance. It's like, you know, I'm buying cards all the time of guys that I love and I want to be in a habit of ultimately putting them in my collection on that app. I use the app for so many things, but I want to all like when I get a card in, I want to put it in my collection and track it. But like, quite frankly, like I don't need to know like every, every day what my card is worth because I'm not selling it, you know? And I feel like there's so many people out there that, yeah, like, it's great. We want our cards to go up, but like, you know, for us, it's about them being filed away in that collection or displayed like you have them because it connects with other pieces. And that's what being a collector is all about. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't agree more. And even with the card ladder thing, I love it. I do use it, but I don't track the value of my collection in it because I don't want that to be on my mind. Um, Mm. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. For me, as an escape, I don't want to think about the money. I don't want to think about the investment part of it too much. I want to, I want to, uh, hit one other point you said, because I think this is, I've been like dancing around this for a little while and I've experienced um, both sides of it, but I think this is, it'd be important to, I think for, based on your mindset to hear from you, just collecting someone who does not play anymore versus someone who plays. And we're talking about risk. Obviously there's a lot more risk on active players. I get the association, like you mentioning Luca, like you want to, when you're watching game pass or league pass, you want to flip on the NBA and pick a team and want to follow a player and associate your collecting with that specific player. But that player could have a bad season. That player could get injured and you could have spent a thousand bucks on this card. And now it could be worth 200 bucks where I understand the fun of it and the association and the attachment, but maybe like talk about the balance of just collecting new versus collecting old. I feel like the retired guys outside of, you know, your, basketball wise mj kobe lebron like your retire guys football same thing don't get as much attention because it's not as flashy but i'd love to hear your mindset as a collector and how you balance both worlds yeah i mean for me i think i i do appreciate uh your lucas you know fill in the blank man your herberts um it's awesome to see these young guys you know go out there and kill it um and for me because i'm actually a sports fan it's not just the sports card right I want to watch and be excited and have a game I can turn on and be excited about. And in basketball, for me, again, that's LeBron James, Lakers, and Luka because it's, it's what I do. It's who I am. I watch basketball. I'm a basketball guy. Um, but as far as the collecting goes, I, my passion, my North Star, my anchor, as you would say, goes back to Kobe. So if we're just on basketball, it goes to Kobe. So I always have to ask myself, do I have this card that's on my list 
you know, that's X amount of dollars versus this Luca card over here that is X amount of dollars. I have to get the Kobe first because he's my guy. And like I said, yeah, he's retired. His legacy is cemented. His prices are going to go up and down, but more with the market. Whereas, yeah, Luca, man, shoot, dude, he's incredible. But a torn, you know, a torn freaking Achilles or something crazy happens to his reputation or whatever. And those cards could go to almost zero, you know, because there's too much time left and it's the unknown. But for me, again, it's the, it's not so much as the unknown and all that. It's more like, where's my, where do my collecting priorities lie? And I still have Luca cards. I just don't have the bigger, more expensive, more investable ones, if you will. I sold all those to put that money into Kobe. The Luca cards that I have, nobody cares about. Like they're just collector pieces. They're, you know, 10, 20, 50, $100 cards, whatever. And they're not, they're not the kind of, you know, cool rookies and stuff that people go after. They're the cards that I've looked at and said, I'm not selling this for 20 bucks. You know, I'm keeping it. It's cool. I like it. Um, and so I still have a handful of, of Lucas and, and LeBrons and stuff that fall into that. I'm not selling this for $20 category. Um, but investing wise, going after, you know, the guys like Luca and other young sports stars, I think, you know, buy what makes you happy. Be careful. Don't just go after those big, quote unquote, investable cards because you could absolutely lose everything on those. I'm not going to lie, man. There was a point <laughs> that I thought the Luca Silver Prism rookie was as solid as gold as far sure. as investability. I literally almost did something stupid. I <laughs> almost took money that I had invested in mutual funds and put that in a handful of Luca Prism Silvers. And thank God I didn't. I stuck with my convictions that I was saying earlier, you know, my boundaries of making sure my bases are covered, that I'm invested in XYZ and not treating this as investments because I lose enough money collecting. So um, I would just say, man, be careful going after those cards, man. Sometimes the bigger they are, the harder they fall. I mean, I know you've got your vintage and your, your CL50 and there's some strength there. But if you don't love the card or you can't afford some of these real strong old vintage cards for real investment purposes, be careful, man. That's all I'm going to say, man. I love it. Before I let you get out of here, I'd love for you to maybe talk about some of your favorite pieces in your PC, whether they're Evans, Kobe, anybody else. Like, What are some of your kind of, when you think about your collection, your favorite cards and maybe a couple and kind of any stories you have associated with them? Oh man. So definitely going to be Kobe, definitely going to be Kobe refractors. I'm a huge Kobe refractor fanatic. Actually, I just wrote an article for basketball card fanatic. that will be coming out on Saturday about my top five Kobe refractors. So I won't spoil that completely, <laughs> but I will say couple of my favorite cards for sure is my uh, Apparitions Refractor, the 1998 Topps Chrome Apparitions Refractor. It's freaking iconic to me. It's numbered to 100. And to me, those cards that were numbered to 100 in the 90s, it's kind of like a card being numbered to 10 now. This 100%. Is this, yes, I, I could not agree more. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I think of it in my mind. I literally think of it exactly like one tenth. 
And so that card, man, you just, the, the design, the graphic design, it's not just that it's numbered to 100, because I'm going to be honest, man, there's cards that I see that are numbered to 100 that people go crazy over that I think look like, like trash. I'm not going to name any, but I'm like, I don't care if it's numbered to 100 or 50 or 20 or one. If I don't like the way the card looks, I'm not pursuing it. So, but the design on the graphic design, the, the action shot, the refractor, man, it's, I, I love it. I absolutely love my, uh, my Dunk Masters refractor. Another one um, that's kind of a lower number, 150, like being numbered to 15, okay? Um, <laughs> we're, we're, it, we're starting something here. <laughs> the, the, the action shot, the, that's the golden era of Topps Finest basketball to me. I mean, the, it, everything about that card is just so intriguing. It's mostly silver, so there's so much refractor going on in it. And yeah, man, I love uh, I love Kobe refractors. I love the old metal, all the metal universe and stuff. I don't have any Kobe PMGs, obviously, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I I absolutely love the metal. To me, the cool thing about the metal is that that was an era that base cards were freaking awesome. Mm. You look at the metal universe base cards, man. I think I think that they all had a different design. Every freaking player. That's insane. The, the, the effort and the energy and the time that went into those, the base cards are awesome. But all the metal base cards are awesome. All the metal Kobe rookies. I've got all the Kobe rookie medals and inserts, everything except for PMGs. I've got all those. I love them. Mike Evans, I love. The thing I love about Mike Evans, and I heard this on one of your episodes, and forgive me, I can't remember who said it? I don't remember if it was you or your guest that said it, but it really triggered me to buy a bunch of freaking awesome Mike Evans because you can afford the best cards, man. I've got a freaking gold flawless rookie auto number 10 of Mike Evans. That's my most expensive Mike Evans car, but you know what a gold flawless number 10 of Kobe would be? And it's not even his rookie. I mean, it's way more money than I could spend right now. So I love that. I've got all, I've got a ton of Mike Evans autos. Um, I have not posted on, on Instagram, even a fraction of my Mike Evans collection yet. Now that the season's here, I don't know why I'm like that. I'm going to post a ton of Mike Evans stuff. If my, if the algorithm will show it to anybody, they love showing people my Kobe stuff, but <laughs> um, I don't know, man, I freaking love the, the Mike Evans autos. I've got a handful of Mike Evans gold prisms. Um, and of course I do the red prisms because it's team color, orange mm. prisms, because it's kind of the secondary old school team color um, in the poor man's gold, you know, and then with Brady, I've got lower end stuff with Brady. I can't afford his, you know, good, real good cards. A lot of the Brady cards I have, most people wouldn't give a crap about. I mean, I've got some okay ones as far as value and stuff like that goes, but to me, mm. some of my mosaic my mosaic Brady's like the straight fire, the men of mastery. Uh, some of those Brady's to me are freaking amazing and they're not expensive. And even the, I'm not a huge fan of the newer select since they sent it to retail, mm. literally, literally the worst thing behind sticker autos that they have ever done was sending select to retail. Amen. Even in my, in my opinion, even worse than the player worn or not a, not affiliated with any, not associated with any event or whatever. Sending select to retail was the worst thing ever. It hurt bad because I love select, but I will say 
the 2020 select Brady, there was a few inserts, the snapshot sideways one of him diving, the, um, uh, there's a couple of other ones, the turbo charge, and then the uh, whatever Captain Firecrap. Those three inserts, very affordable. They look amazing. I've got them set up side by side. So, I mean, they're freaking awesome. And then Shaq, Orlando Shaq stuff. I've got all his commons, but I've got also all of his refractors. So all the Orlando refractors I have, Finest, all those stuff. And um, Jordan, I just got all commons. And then again, a little bit of Luca and LeBron. But those are my guys. Those are who I collect. And that's who I love. And if the card's worth five grand, awesome. If it's worth five bucks, great. If it's worth zero, I'm still keeping it, baby. We, we've plugged them enough. We'll give that shout on the collecting the best cards of one of your favorite players and the ability to do that to my man, Chris, at Card Ladder. He's the one who said it on the show. I okay. vividly, I vividly that one struck a, a nerve with a lot of people, um, but love the passion, man. Uh, so much uh, excitement and uh, energy and kind of your collection and always dig talking to another collector. You can find him, 90s kid card collector, Curtis. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. Man, I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, man. Take care. Curtis is a fan. Curtis is a collector. I think there was a lot in that conversation that we can all think about. The hobby is an escape. Never forget that. You take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More Stagging Slabs next week. Peace out. Peace out.